pretty familiar with testimonies, right? At a time, it's, it's, it's a time when a Christian brother or sister tells the story of their walk of faith. Often testimonies are an encouragement to those who hear them, yet sometimes testimonies are misused and point more towards the person giving the testimony than towards uh, how God has been active in their life. Some may read that into our passage today, just as he does a bit in Acts, Paul gives us an important look into his testimony here in the beginning of Galatians. But he doesn't do it to inspire those he is writing to, or, or, those, or he does it to inspire those he is writing to, or those who would read and hear the words later. And, and he definitely doesn't do it to point to himself. Instead, he uses his testimony to refute, to come against the claims of people who would undermine or belittle his message, and he wants it all to point to the God of amazing grace. Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would... Have, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had sent me set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who once used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. How far is too far? How far is too far? The other night, uh, Karen and I, uh, I, was, I was beginning to feel a little better before she got sick. We had, we had just put the kids down. And, and there's a little bit of a, a danger with that. There's a little bit of a risk because we put Elijah down as well. Now, he's our youngest. You know, he's, he's just seven months and right now, all of the boys are in the same bedroom. We've got a, a fairly big bunk bed that we stick the older four in. <laughs> and, 
and then, and then we've got a, a crib up there that, that uh, Elijah goes in. And we have a couple that fall asleep right away, right? Like they're just, it's great. I, I, I've strategically been trying to read stories to them at night because then one of them in particular will get bored and fall asleep. I mean, if he falls asleep, then it just kind of falls like dominoes and everyone else kind of goes, right? But if I can't get him asleep, we have, <laughs> it gets to be a little interesting at, at night in, in the boys' room. And uh, I, I was still recovering from, from being sick, and so I hadn't taken the time to read them their story. I didn't have the air, I didn't have the energy, and so we just gave it a shot. We got them in their beds, and... And we turned out the lights and we went downstairs and Karen and I started watching our show. And, uh, and then, you, you know, you start to hear the giggles, right? And they start coming up and it's like, man, if they get too loud, they're going to wake up their little brother. And if Elijah wakes up, then, then it's just terrible because it's hard to get him back to sleep and he's cranky because he wants to be asleep and it's just miserable. And so you kind of do that, boys, you know, from downstairs, they, they can hear us. Boys, it's... It's time to go to bed. You know, you're supposed to be going to bed. And then they quiet down for about, I don't know, a minute, minute and a half. Then you hear the giggling again. Boys, I'm, I'm being serious this time, right? I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you to be done. I don't want to have to come up there. There's a couple reasons that I want to go up there. One reason is I'm tired and I've been sick and I'm exhausted and I'm not 100% sure I'm going to have any strength when I get to the top of the stairs. Another reason I don't want to go up there is because if I have to go up there and if I have to administer some sort of discipline, they are going to be crying, and that is for sure going to wake Elijah. So I'm kind of stuck in this like awkward position, right, where it's like I really need them to go to bed, and I really need them to be quiet. But how far am I willing to let them push me before I have to get out of my chair, have to go upstairs, and have to actually lay down the law. How far is too far? At what point do we say, you know, enough is enough? So, sometimes I think it depends on the situation. It can be, it can be hard to watch the news sometimes. Uh, maybe pretty much all the time. But have you ever tried to watch a news program that takes the opposite position of your stance. You know, just so you can try to get a grip on, on where the other side is coming from. How long do you last? I, I, I tend to not last very long. How long can you go before you have to change the channel and say, okay, that's enough. That's too far. I can't take it anymore. It's, it's, it's just driving me crazy. Or, or how about food? In order to remain, like, you know, as... as we're going to remove the, the possibility of insults. Say, say you order pizza, right? You get pizza coming in, and, and they got the order wrong. Maybe they, they put sausage instead of pepperoni, and you hate sausage. Or maybe they loaded that puppy with vegetables. That would be my nightmare. I'm not a big fan of, of vegetables on my pizza. And so if they loaded it with vegetables, I'm like, oh, man, but I'm really hungry. And I, and I got this. It took, you know, 20 minutes to get here. How much of it are you going to eat? Before you're like, all right, I'm done. I just, I just can't push myself through this thing that I don't like anymore. I just, I just can't push it any farther. This, this is too far. I've gone far enough. We set boundaries for ourselves in our personal lives. 
We set limits in order to protect ourselves and others. We limit the amount of frustration that we are willing to endure. Do we have boundaries for our sin? Maybe our sin, maybe the sin of our neighbor, maybe the, the sin of someone we see on the news or read on the internet. Do we, do we get to a place where we think, you know, that's just too much? How could that be forgiven? That's just going a little too far. The more important question becomes not if we as humans have boundary, a boundary line for sin, but if God does. Does God get to the point where he says, that's too far? Jeffrey Dahmer, also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal, was a man who was arrested, convicted, and ultimately confessed to some incredibly terrible crimes. I'm not going to go into full detail here due to the graphic nature of, of all that his crimes entailed, but know that he confessed to the murdering of 17 young men as well as eating some of their organs and other things that I won't mention here. It was well publicized at the time. It was all over the news. And this is, this is dark stuff. It's terrible, sinful dark stuff. When he was arrested, he is reported to have turned to the arresting police officer and said, for what I did, I should be dead. Dahmer's case caused a particular stir when in 1991, while in prison, he requested a copy of the Bible. He studied the Bible and eventually became a professing Christian. In 1994, he was baptized in the prison whirlpool. How could this be? Could God really forgive a man that had done all of the heinous, disgusting, and horrible things that Dahmer had done? Wasn't that too much? Hadn't he gone just a bit too far? Wasn't this taking grace a bit too far? In our passage today, Paul gives us a glimpse into his past. He gives us a glimpse into the motivations of his past, into the darkness of his past. We read in verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul isn't pulling his punches he was so against the church, saw it as such an abomination that he was violently persecuting her. He was set on destroying her. If it meant killing all of the Christians, so be it. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, we read that he oversaw the murder of the first martyr, Stephen. And when he was on the road to Damascus, the time leading right up to his conversion, he wasn't going to have a friendly chat with those that he was after. He was on his way to either kill them or convert them. Paul was not a good guy. His heart was not pure. He was not following a righteous path. Though as a follower of Judaism at the time, he surely thought he was. 
He was killing people. Willingly. Intentionally. In an attempt to destroy the church. To blot it out from the pages of history. This is terrible, sinful, dark stuff. How far is too far? Though we in our humanness, in our personalities, and yes, in our sinfulness, have limits to how far we are willing to go with grace, how far we are willing to extend grace, with God it is never too far. With God it is never too far. Despite his terrible past and his murderous intentions, God saved Paul. He saved him because of his love and by his grace. We see this in verse 15 where Paul writes that God called me by his grace. We also see that it is God who gets the credit in verse 24 where we read, And they glorified God because of me. Paul isn't saying they praised God because of how awesome I am. He's saying they praised God because of the miracle that God worked in me. Because he saved me by grace. God saved Paul despite what he had done. Despite what he had planned to do. Grace is the free, unmerited favor of God working powerfully on the mind and heart to change lives. There is no clearer example than Paul that salvation is by grace alone. Paul wasn't saved because he was suddenly repentant. He was saved on his way to go and kill or convert. He wasn't saved because he felt guilty. He wasn't saved because he grew a conscience or developed a new sense of morality. He was not saved because of something he did. He was confronted on the road to Damascus by Jesus, the risen Lord, and he was saved by grace. Though Paul's sins were very deep, he was invited in. With God, it is never too far. Tim Keller writes, No one is good enough, or no one is so good, that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Hold on to that. Cherish that truth. We are never so bad that we can't receive the grace of the gospel. Now Paul doesn't just give us this insight into his life just to show us the power of God's grace, though that plays a large role. It also serves to illustrate the point that he is making to the Galatian church in the first couple paragraphs of his letter. God is using Paul to pull another one of his reversals. The Bible is, is full of reversals, things that don't make sense to the natural order of things. It's, it's, it's a common phrase, not, the first shall be last. You know, the story of Joseph being sold into slavery and then 
That turning him into being one of the most powerful men on the planet and actually saving those who sold him into slavery, right? The younger brother Jacob getting the blessing that the older brother Esau should have gotten. There, there are many more examples since it's a theme in the Bible and, and Paul's conversion is one of them. The greatest opponent of Christianity becomes its most potent missionary. Another reversal. Paul, again, wants us to see that it is God that has done this work. It is God who, in verse 15, set me apart before I was born, Paul writes. This was a sudden and abrupt change. Paul didn't come into the knowledge of the gospel by study and conversations with other learned men and women over a long period of time. He wants the people of Galatia to understand that the gospel, was, that, the gospel that he has proclaimed to them, the one that they are abandoning is the one he was given by Jesus. As he says in verses 11 to 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, and nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul wants the Galatians to grasp the power, scope, and ability of the gospel, of the grace of God, that they would not abandon it. Paul is begging, pleading, laying himself, his past, bare before the Galatians, praying that they would understand that the gospel he preached to them is the same gospel that Jesus revealed to him on the Damascus Road, the same gospel that saved him. The same gospel that caused the reversal, moving him from the biggest opponent of Christianity to one of our most passionate and effective heroes. This is the gospel that was given to them, and this is the gospel that has been given to us as well. This same gospel that was strong enough, big enough, powerful enough to save Paul from his path of wickedness is strong enough powerful enough, big enough to save us from our own. How amazing is that? Paul is scared for the Galatians. He's scared that they're going to throw out this true, this effective gospel for one that's worthless. He's scared that they're going to look past the truth of God for the lies of man. And we also need to heed this warning, his, his pleading, to not look past the gospel. We need to embrace it for ourselves, but also for others. In 1997, the band Roomful of Walters put out a song called Jeffrey Dahmer Went to Heaven. It ruffled many feathers, understandably. Many were offended at the idea that God's grace could extend to someone who had done the horrid things Dahmer had done. Christian and non-Christian alike were deeply disturbed by that thought, by that assertion. But just because it ruffled feathers doesn't mean that the song was wrong. As we look at the scope of God's grace, it is evident that if Dahmer accepted the gospel, that God's grace goes far enough to cover his sin. There were still earthly consequences 
for his sin. He still needed to go to jail, etc. But the spiritual consequences, eternity in hell, had been paid for by the blood of Christ. What good news that is. Good news for him and good news for us. Because it reminds us that his grace goes far enough to cover our sin as well. We can be confident that the good news of the gospel is powerful enough to work in our lives as well. To cover our sin as well. With God, there is no too far. With confession, there is absolution. With repentance, there is forgiveness. No matter how deep the sin, there may be natural consequences here on earth, but we can be confident of a right standing before the Father. Doesn't that, doesn't that seem crazy? It's crazy. So crazy and so amazing that God's grace stretches so far. That God can forgive so much. Sometimes it, it goes beyond logic. As C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity must be from God. For who else could have thought it up? As we close this morning, remember that God does not love us because we are useful to Him. He loves us simply because He loves us. And this is the only kind of love that we can be secure in, since it is the only kind of love we cannot possibly lose. I'm going to read that again. God does not love us because we are useful to Him. He doesn't love us because what we can do for Him. He loves us simply because He loves us. And this is the only kind of love we can ever be secure in, since it is the only kind of love we cannot possibly lose. We cannot possibly lose the love of God. This is grace. This is grace. Amen.